Well, amen. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can I hear a shout of, well, glory? Praise the Lord. I am a child of God. Can you say that? I am a child of God. Woo, what a song. We are a child of God. And you know, it's not a matter what the world says. It's not a matter what the devil tries to tell you. It's a matter of what the creator of our being says. And he says, as a born-again believer, you are a child of God. He says, you are mine. You are my son. We are children of God, all because of his love for us and what he did through his son on that cross. If you would take your Bibles this morning and go ahead and begin turning to the book of Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. And as you're turning there, we're looking today at heirs through the promise. You know, through God's promise, each of us are heirs to something. Each of us are heirs along with Christ to God's promises, to an eternal life with him, to be a child of his. As we get ready to read these verses, I want you to turn your attention. I want you to let's look at this before we read. And the main purpose of these verses today is to show us the purpose of the law, which is to lead us to freedom and heirship with and through Christ. The law. God's word, it is there for a reason and it has a purpose and it is to lead us somewhere. So if you would please stand with me as we read Galatians chapter 3 beginning in verse 23. It says, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But not that faith has come, excuse me, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For we are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed yourself with Christ. There is now neither Jew nor Greek there is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you so much for what this word tells us that as believers in your son and through faith in him, Father, that we are heirs in you. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would now speak through me. Father, you would remove the distractions, Lord. You would open the ears of our minds, the ears of our heart, Father, this morning to hear from Holy Spirit. Father, as your word says, would you open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things in your law. And Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Heirs through the promise. I want to share with you a story of when I was a young boy. I wasn't even in elementary school yet. I was actually in the process of going to preschool. My mom had enrolled me in preschool at Sunset Acres in Shreveport. Any of y'all remember that? It's now called Springs of Grace. 
Well, on the way to a preschool, we had one of those old lovely station wagons. It was yellow on the top and the bottom and had that wood paneling right there in the middle. And if you remember anything about station wagon, you had the front seat and, of course, the little armrest that would come down. That's where I would usually ride when we'd take vacation. Then you had the back seat. That was for my two brothers. And then you had the back. as kind of like a trunk. You're familiar with that. But it had that little third seat in the back that would pop up and you could sit there and face backwards. But when it wasn't opened, it would close down and there was a little bit of a trunk space and this lid would come over or this covering on it to make the whole back open. Well, my two brothers would love to get back there and they would play in that little cubby hole and they would close that lid and they would play around and they'd open and get out. Well, we're on the way to preschool. It's just me and mom in the car. And I thought, that was always fun for them. I want to try that. So I made my way into the back. This is before you had to wear seat belts all the time. And I got in that little cubby hole and I closed that door and I was then surrounded to my despise in a box with a lid that would not open. It did not open for me like it did for them. I was trapped. I was encased. Uh, Today, I might would say I felt like I was in a casket and couldn't get out. So I began to yell for the only other person in the car that could help me, and that was my mother. And I don't know if she found it enlightening or funny, But instead of stopping for this terrified little child on the way to preschool, all she would say, hang on, honey, we'll be there in a minute and I'll let you out. Do you know when you're trapped, a minute is not a minute. Seemed like an eternity that I was confound in this little area and could not get out until we finally arrived at Sunset Acres, and then Mom decided that I guess it was okay at that point then to come and open that door up and to let me out. I believe still to that day that there's probably a terrifying moment for me, and even to this day, if I feel pinned, I have issues. So those that you used to see love to rustle around and tickle each other and pin down that usually didn't happen to me because I'd have a total fit if I was pinned and you were knocked out of the way pretty quick but I was confound in there and then I was released now that's very similar to what our scripture today is trying to point out to us let's begin looking there at Verse 23, it said, but before the faith came, this was the the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, talking about before Jesus came. Now, remember here that Paul is writing to the Galatians. He's writing to a church. And in that day, the church would have been a collected group of believers. So he's not just writing to anyone. He's writing to believers. He's say he's writing to us because we're part of the church. But before the faith, before Jesus came, he said we were kept in custody under the law. He begins as he likes to do a lot of times to use a legal term here, a custody. You might see a picture there. I probably skipped that if we can jump back up there. No, we'll be there in just a moment. We look at this and we're in custody under the law being shut up, trapped. You know, when I was in that car, we were, I was all shut up. How many of you have ever gone fishing and you took out cages 
and the fish get into that cage and they became entrapped in that cage. They couldn't get it out. Miss Linda, when you get ready to take cows, you put them into this corral and then you put them into a trailer and they are entrapped into that trailer to where they cannot get out. That's what the law was doing. It was shutting them in, catching them on all four sides, hemming them up to the faith which would later be revealed. want us to talk about bondage here. We are in bondage before Christ. Now we'll have the picture there of this jail cell with these hands. If it popped up there, you, you see that he's holding on. He's in bondage. He's got the bars and you can even see bob wire. They were talking in one of the commentaries I was reading about how the Jews believed of being fenced in with their Jewish religion that kept them separate from the rest of the world. They were better than the rest of the world. They had things like the laws to teach them how to eat and how to worship it and what to do. And they were bound by these things on all sides because God gave the law for that purpose according to them. Now let's go to verse 24. It says, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ. Some of your other scriptions may use guardian or just leader. What Paul is trying to write here is that the law in their day, a tutor, was not necessarily someone that was a teacher. I want us to take back and understand what this word is and how it's being used so that we can understand this. A tutor in that day was considered a boy leader. When a young boy would be born, he would a lot of times have a what we would call a wet nurse that would nurse him until he got to a certain age. And then as he winged off, he would have a nanny that would raise him a little bit more. But before long, he would become in need of a tutor. This tutor is someone that would walk him to school and to bring him back from school. This tutor would be one that would help him go over what was learned in school and, and try to help him to understand that and to review it. This tutor was to guide him in the ways of the custom. You know, things we don't think about. What was the proper way that you sit at a table? What would be the proper way that you would carry yourself down the street? What is the proper way that you would wear the clothes? And he would begin to be under the direction of this tutor. Now, some tutors were good and they were gracious, but many tutors would do disciplinary work in sometimes hurtful ways to try to get the child into conformity to what he's supposed to be. Maybe the taking of the ear. Some of you might have done this, twist the little ear, a pinch. Some would beat. There was a few that were known to just really be ugly with their beatings. But this tutor was to get this child ready for his age of maturity or his age of becoming a man, and then he would be released from the tutor. So for the majority of this child's life, the tutor was his responsibility. Sometimes it would be a slave that would do it. Sometimes it was a, a free man, but he was one to guide him, to be there, protect him. And I tell you, reading, I was really dumbfounded with what one of these jobs of the tutor was, was to protect the young boy 
when he would go to a bathhouse from um, offers of other men that should not be made. It was a guardian, might be a good word that we could use, is what this tutor did. And Paul is telling him here that the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, whereas the tutor was to lead the child in the ways that he should be until he become a man or his age of a, a early adolescence to move on into life. Well, God gave the law for that purpose. There is nothing in the law that saves us as individuals. The law's purpose is to guide us to Christ. Now, there are some points in the law that we can live by that will help us and it will justify and give us a direction and a way to live just as this tutor would do. But the tutor could do nothing for the boy that the boy would not willingly take on. The tutor did not make the boy a man. He just led him in that direction. And the law puts us in bondage because it takes from just the law of the Jews that separated them into maybe, as one person said it, a fence of barbed wire. Not just a fence to hold the Jews in, but this barbed wire because according to the law, it shows us that none of us match up. God gave a specific law, and there is no one out there that can keep this law exactly right. But it's to show that we are in need of something greater than ourselves. And Paul is pushing that out there, wanting this church to understand that the law has got us in bondage to its requirements. And God said the requirement of breaking the law is separation from him and all of eternity in hell. Now, the law also gave them some directions of how to offer sacrifice. In our law, God's holy word points us to the ultimate sacrifice. It also tells us that this law leads us to Christ so that we may be justified. There's one of those nice church words, justified. You know, according to the law, we are separated from God. We have iniquity. We have sin in our life. But through Jesus, the one who was revealed, we can become justified. We can be made right or using those legal terms as Paul likes to use. We can be rendered a favorable verdict. How many of you want a favorable verdict if you ever go to court? Amen. I, I don't want the sentencing. We all want to be favorable. This justified will acquit us no longer under the law. It makes us found right in the eyes of God. The holy one, the perfect one, can look at us marred by sin, dirty, and he can look at us as pure, white, clean, holy, righteous. Because he's looking at us through the lenses of the bloodshed of Jesus Christ on that cross. So while for the Jews the law was to isolate them or to pin them in, 
They're to worship a different way from everyone around them. They're to eat different. But Paul, writing here with Christ in mind, takes this pinned in to a grander scale, one that has not just pinned in the Jews, but he's writing here to the church, the entire human race, the entirety of the human race, the law shows and leads to Christ. They're pinned in our lives to the sentence of condemnation and punishment, separated from God, but because of Christ, we have been justified. We have been set free. Second thing we're looking at, the bondage, the purpose of the law is to get us to where we need to be, freedom. Let's look there at verse 25, but now the faith has come. Now he's writing, Jesus Christ has come. Our faith in him, the opportunity to be a Christian, to put your whole self, your whole warrant, all of who you are in divine and devotion to Christ. That opportunity has now come and we're no longer under a tutor. Whereas the law was leading us to Christ, now that Christ is here, we no longer need the law. Look at how he, he moves there in verse 26. He says, for you are all sons of God. Sons. He's doing a contrast here from a young boy in need of a tutor that we are now sons, we're adolescents. We've come of age as Christians and we become sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been returned back to our father. When the boy comes of age, he is returned back to his father and his father is then responsible for keeping him and getting him through the rest up until adulthood. So we've moved from needing the tutor, being in bondage, to the law, being in bondage to sin, to freedom in Christ by faith in Christ. Not by anything that we've done, but by faith in Christ. And he says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ. Now, he's not talking about water baptism here. Yes, we understand that as part of becoming uh, a follower of Christ, Baptism doesn't save you. Salvation through the faith and the confession and the repentance and calling out to Christ is what saves you. But as a disciple of Christ, we then follow in water baptism. But Paul here is talking about the baptism of the Spirit. You were baptized into Christ. The moment, wherever you were, at camp, at home watching TV, Next to your bed, in bed, in the car, wherever you were, the moment you realized that you were in need of a Savior and you surrendered your life in devotion to the Savior for his forgiveness, you were baptized in the Spirit. The Spirit came in to live in you and lead you. You were baptized into Christ. Christ <clears throat> lived. He died. He was put in the tomb. We'd call it being buried. He come out of the tomb and he rose again, living a purpose and a victorious life. We use the submersion in water as a symbol of that exact same thing. As a sinner, we walk into those waters which represent the grave and we typically lay you back. You're buried, laid down into that water. 
But I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I'm glad they don't hold me under there. Are any of you still under the water baptism? No, we come up. We are released from the bondage of that water. But you know what I love? I read that was so amazing the way they depicted this is that we go into the water, but we come up out of the water by the help of another's hand. When that preacher has his arm out and you were holding onto that arm, he helped you up out of that water. That's what Christ did. They, he helps us by his hand up out of the water, and then we live a freed and victorious life through the depiction of what happened there. It doesn't save us as an example, an outward example of what has happened on the inside. For we have all been baptized into Christ. We have clothed yourself with Christ. We have put Christ on. We're to live a perfect life. We're to live a life devoted to Christ, to become a Christ follower. You know, that's what Christian stands for. You'll be, you'll be surprised, maybe, maybe not, how many people believe saying a prayer and being baptized is all there is to the Christian life. So sorry you missed it. That's the beginning. A Christian is a lifetime of devotion to following Christ being matured in Christ. We have responsibilities in Christ that each of us are to carry out. Each of us are given a gift by God through Christ and through our faith that we are to use and to exercise in the church for the betterment of the church. It's not all about us. See, that's what the world says. Everything's about you. But the moment we become a Christian... Everything's about him. Everything's about the church. We get freedom to walk in liberty. Freedom of not having to worry about what's going to happen when I die. I know what's going to happen when I die. I go to spend eternity with God. Praise the Lord. No better place to be. I don't have to worry about what am I going to do in this life. We have guides to lead us. You know, we can read through the Psalms, we can read through the Proverbs and things that were written in these Proverbs that give us good advice. We can choose to receive them or to reject them. But if we live within them, we're living in freedom. I think I've used this analogy before. A fish can jump out of the water. It cannot live very long on the land flopping around in the sand. It's not the way he was designed to live. If he stays in the confines of the water, then he can live a long time. You know, the world says you're in those confines of that Bible and those laws that are there. You are so just hemmed in, you can't do anything. My life is victorious when I follow these things. I can operate in freedom because I'm within the guidelines of what God has set up. But you see, we're heirs through the promise. The law was there to lead us to freedom. And now we can live a new life, a new life in Christ. Look there, verse 28 says, There is neither... Jew nor Greek, 
There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I can tell you right now there is a group of people out there that would love to take this verse out of context and tell you that there's no male or female. Well, isn't that what we just read? It's what your Bible says. Well, I'm here to tell you there is male and there's female. And there is a male who was born a male. And there is a female who was born a female. And that's the only way. I don't care what you call yourself, what surgery you do. You are either male or female. What does he mean here then that there's no Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or, or female? What is he talking about? The Jews thought they were better. They were God's chosen people. In Christ, guess what? So were we, the Greeks. We're God's chosen people. He chose us. He called us. We surrendered to him. There is neither free nor slave, male nor female. What is he getting at here? We've got to look at what he's talking about. He says you're all in one Christ Jesus. We are all one family. We are all part of the family of Jesus Christ. Free or slave, Greek, Hebrew, male or female, none of that matters in its entirety to what it means to be in Christ. We're one in the body of Christ Jesus. You know, when I go to heaven, God's not going to open the book and look in there. Richard Tull, oh, he was a male, we'll let him in. God is concerned about our righteousness of what he did to us through Jesus. Our concern in the church should be about Christ. We're one body. We can't just differentiate and say one is and one isn't. This is new life. He's writing there to that church in Galatians and uh, talking to those Greeks, and I'm sure they're happy because now the word is available to the Greeks. You know, if Christ would have never come and sent them out to all parts of the world, including the Greeks, we would not be here because you were either Jew, Gentile. We all fall under, most of us in here, that Gentile category. All are in the body of Jesus Christ. And it says there that if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. What was the promise given to Abraham. He was promised a seed. If we were to go back in the Old Testament and look, it wasn't talking at that scripture about seeds with an S. One, he was talking about Jesus Christ would come through the line of Abraham. But not only that, Abraham was given the promise of the promised land of Canaan, a place of rest, a place of fulfillment, a place that would supply in abundance. Remember what the spies saw? They saw him carrying, I mean, grapes. It would take a cluster of grapes, two men to carry. I wish I would have captured that picture we saw the other day of these men over in that area carrying a stick with this cluster of grapes that would have hung from probably here down to the floor and about this big around. It really exists. But that's what Abraham was promised to, to get out of these bondages and to have this promised land that would come down through them. Well, guess what? That was all a prototype, we might say, a, a foreshadowing, a telling, because through Abraham, we get Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, we become heirs 
of this promise, we get our own Canaan, the actual heaven, eternity with God. We get to live in his abundance, his grace. We are heirs through this promise given hundreds of years ago and depicted several times in different ways and analogies to get people to understand it. But today, we are living that. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are free. You are living a new life in the land of Canaan. We are living heaven here on earth. It's not just something that comes after we die. We can live with this freedom. We can live in connection with God. We can go directly to him and talk. I don't know about you, but when I'm hurting and I need someone, I want to go directly to them and talk. I don't want someone standing between me and them. And when I need Christ Jesus, he is there for me. When I need God, I can go to him and guess what? It ain't like today and I, I just crawls under my skin. You dial a number. This rec may be recorded for quality purposes. If you'd like to talk to such and such, press one. If you'd like to talk to whoever, press two. And they go through all nine. If you didn't get that, press the pound and we'll go back through it again. So now you've been on phone five minutes, you press one. I want to talk to John. Oh, thank you. John's busy. Would you please leave him a message and he'll call you back sometime next year. It's not how it is with God. Because of our new life and our freedom through Christ, we're heirs to God. We are his children, and he answers when we call on him. He's always awake. He's never sleeping, just as when you were younger and you would call home, and it might be the middle of the night, and mom and dad is asleep. They would instantly wake up to answer their child calling. I'm sure if John knew that it was his son on the phone, he would answer the phone. We have a new life. We're heirs to this living a heaven directly connected to our father right now. One that is free from bondage. I don't believe that we fully understand. I'm going to say that or I'll just say me and you can put yourself where you want. Sometimes I don't know that I fully comprehend the freedom that we have in Christ. The moment we become saved, as we would say at the moment, we accept Christ and he washes us and makes us righteous. We're free from the bondage of sin. But I so often run myself right back to those shackles. I run right back to what I was doing. What's a Bible talk about a dog returning to his vomit. I mean, the things we don't want to do, we do. And the things we want to do, we don't do. It's a struggle because we're still in the flesh. But with the power that's within us, we are free from this bondage. That's the promise we have in Christ, our heirs with Christ through the promise. Remember when I began, I said these verses show us the purpose of the law. And what was that? To lead us to Christ. And then it says to freedom and heirship with and through Christ. Because of Christ, when we're in him, we have heirship. We are sons 
of God. We are children of God. If you want to break it down, you are sons and daughters of God. Does that excite you, church? That God himself calls you children. He says you're righteous because of what Christ did. The things we get through our being heirs, what's handed down to us is all because of what Christ did. Now you bow your heads.